This is Meditation Inspiration. I'm your host, Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Katie Austin, and this podcast is here to inspire you to either start a meditation practice or to keep one going. I've got real life stories from meditators from around the world to inspire you with your practice. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome to episode two of Meditation Inspiration and I have our very first guest interview. I really can't believe still that my first guest, Rebecca Crane, agreed to be my first guest. (laughs) When she said yes, I did a little dance, quite honestly. So Rebecca Crane is a professor of psychology at Bangor University and Rebecca is the director for the Bangor Centre for Mindfulness Research and Practice up in Wales in the UK. And so Bangor University was actually one of the first places in the world to offer an academic training in mindfulness they were actually the first university in the world to offer a master's degree in mindfulness. And so you can understand why I'm so excited to be speaking to Rebecca Crane. And I have actually done a two-year postgraduate diploma in mindfulness-based approaches at Bangor University. And I continue to study with their sister organisation, the Mindfulness Network, And so, yeah, me and my friend often say that Rebecca Crane is like one of the rock stars of mindfulness for us. So, yeah, pretty giddy over here, to be honest. Um, And it was just such an incredible conversation. I actually got to meet Rebecca in person in the Peak District in the United Kingdom. So me and my co-teacher, Jen, we travelled up from Cornwall for a five-day mindfulness retreat. So a, a meditation retreat is basically where you go away for a few days or sometimes a lot longer um, to practice meditation and it's often in silence so you don't speak for five days. We didn't speak for five days, the teachers guided us, but it's just such a wonderful opportunity to deepen practice and we had an amazing time. And so just before the retreat, I got the opportunity to talk to Rebecca and record this podcast. So I was pretty nervous and this is the first interview I've ever done. So I didn't turn the right microphone on. <laughs> so the Sound quality isn't as great as I had hoped, but I think you can hear it well enough to really soak up the wisdom of Rebecca's words. And just a few notes on some of the things that we talk about for anyone that's kind of new to the world of mindfulness or never heard of mindfulness based courses like MBCT and MBSR. So you might like to go back to my first episode where I talk a lot more about this but mindfulness-based stress reduction MBSR is an eight-week mindfulness course that was created in the 1970s by a man called John Kabat-Zinn and it's a course that has been instrumental in 
bringing mindfulness meditation into a mainstream context and creating a course that we can research and kind of create a scientific evidence base for whether mindfulness actually works or not and who it supports how does it work so this was really the beginning of the scientific um, rigorous scientific study of meditation in the world and there's actually been a research paper published really recently that has given evidence to support mindfulness-based stress reduction being as effective as anti-anxiety drugs which is pretty incredible as an alternative um, treatment or a treatment alongside um, pharmaceutical support for anxiety. So Rebecca Crane in the interview talks a lot about another mindfulness course called Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy, which is known as MBCT. This is the kind of follow-on or a, an adaptation rather of mindfulness-based stress reduction, which was created 20 years later in the late 1990s, early 2000s by Mark Williams, John Teasdale and Zindel Siegel. So Rebecca Crane was actually heavily involved in the development of mindfulness-based cognitive therapy at Bangor University. And this course was um, adapted from mindfulness-based stress reduction as a specific treatment for recurrent depression. It's now used all over the world. And that's also been rigorously researched and studies have shown evidence that this eight-week mindfulness intervention is as effective as antidepressants. So it's this is really groundbreaking stuff. Um, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy is actually prescribed as a treatment in the UK for recurrent depression. You can access it through the National Health Service, which is just pretty incredible. And also probably important to say that um, Rebecca Crane worked in as an occupational therapist in the NHS for quite a, a long time before she came to get involved in the mindfulness teaching at Bangor University. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of context uh, to our conversation and I'm so excited for you to hear it. So here we go. Introducing Professor Rebecca Crane. Hi. Hi, Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Katie. It's so wonderful to have you here. I'm pinching myself that <laughs> you agreed to be my first guest on the podcast. Uh, it's a total pleasure. I'm, I'm delighted. It's lovely that you know we can be together as well. That's, that's something that's special in these days. Yeah. Mm. So just to set the scene, mm. I suppose, um, Rebecca and I are sat in a room in the Peak District mm just about to embark upon a five-day mm. silent meditation retreat, which yeah. Becca is is one of the the, the teachers mm. on. Um, so it was a real great opportunity for me to meet Rebecca in, um, in person yeah. and us to be in the same room as so often podcasts are recorded now remotely. Yeah, indeed. indeed yeah. yeah. So just to, to introduce you, and so I'm talking today to Rebecca Crane, who is the director of the Centre for Research and 
mindfulness practice, CMRP, yeah, <laughs> in um, Bangor in Wales, mm. um, where I trained mm. and my, yeah, and continue to train mm. um, with Bangor University. Yes. And so, so yeah, you and you've been part of the kind of the whole development of the Centre for, for Mindfulness and, and Research. Mm. Um, yeah, I've, I've been so lucky to be part of that um, since it, so the Centre was formally established 20 years ago. Yeah. But before that, there was a sort of 10 year period where Mark Williams was developing mindfulness based cognitive therapy and then researching mindfulness based cognitive therapy. And I was working in North Wales in a community mental health team as an occupational therapist and a counsellor. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there was a moment when uh, a colleague from the research team, Mark's research team, came to our team and announced that they were doing this trial on mindfulness. And my ears perked up because um, up until that point I had this very strong personal practice. Um, and of course, it was influencing my work, but it was not explicit. Yeah. So it was really extraordinary to know that on my doorstep there was this new research happening. Yeah, I mean that was really at the heart of the beginnings of bringing mindfulness into mainstream settings in the UK. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was very um, radical work at that point. It yeah. was, you know, mindfulness was not on people's radar. No. As a you know, as a therapeutic intervention. No. Yeah. Gosh, it's amazing to mm. see how how far things have developed in the last totally. twenty yeah, years. Absolutely. I mean, we set the centre was established really as you know with a sort of foreground intention of supporting people um, to particularly in our, our our initial focus was the NHS, so supporting clinicians mm-hmm. in the NHS to develop their skills as mindfulness teachers. But we in you know we never in our wildest dreams did we imagine that you know the work would roll out in the way that it has it's just really touched something in in the zeitgeist of, of, of the moment and uh, has moved in ways that um, I, I yeah are very beautiful actually even yeah. you know whilst acknowledging that there's also a huge amount of challenge alongside that absolutely mm. yeah and I mean the Bangor University um, mindfulness masters course has has trained many mm. incredible teachers th- throughout yeah. the world now as well yeah, teaching mindfulness-based stress reduction and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy and all the other kind of offshoots yeah, um, yeah programs it's been a, from a, that. A, a, amazing pleasure to see very skilled people I mean they were skilled before they came on yeah. masters they were bringing all sorts of layers of expertise from different um, areas and then bringing mindfulness into that and going yeah out into the world and doing extraordinary work in, in all yeah. sorts of contexts. So yeah. that's a real delight to see. Yeah. Mm. So I'm um, really intrigued to hear about how you first mm. had the experience of practicing mm. meditation. What, what inspired you to first start practicing meditation? Yeah, well... It is always quite hard to know how things begin, so that you know things go back and back in a way, don't they? Yeah. But the, there's a tangible moment when I was 16. My dad and I went on a weekend's introduction to meditation. Wow. Of course, um, which was a, an extraordinary experience because I, I didn't know until I got there that the teacher was also my music teacher in my school, and so I knew her and loved her. 
and um, and she was just a a, a, love, a a very fine human being, and she told beautiful stories. She her teaching was all through stories, and I was very touched by how she spoke about her life and and bringing the teachings into that. And uh, I think the the thing that really stays with me now was just really landing with a, a, a deeper recognition that suffering is, yeah. that human experience is inherently challenging and unsatisfactory and difficult you know, at times. And that's universal, that we, that we all experience that. And it's not my fault that that is so. Yes. And you know, to my sort of young teenage, slightly anxious, uptight um, mind, that was an extraordinary relief. To hear that, and to realise that actually, or a lot, that to really see my own habit patterns about striving to make things okay, mm-hmm. and to be good, and to make the world okay, um, that actually, um, it's not possible. You know that that that's a relentless um, mm-hmm. thing, and uh, so yeah, I did. I was really inspired, and it did certainly set a course that um, that that weekend. Yeah, mm. so amazing that your dad invited you to go mm. like encourage that mm. and you shared that how was it to share that experience with your with your dad yeah I look back on that weekend as a very sweet and lovely experience in, in all sorts of ways it's really lovely to do it with him mm-hmm. um, I mean he he we, we I was raised in a Christian tradition mm-hmm. um, and he and he was a he was a questioner you know, he he always wanted to sort of understand the world and explore the world and wonder about the world. So, I think that, in a way, he was he was always willing to try things out, and and that was in that spirit of, oh, let's give this a go. Brilliant. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's something such a gift that mm. you've taken with you. Yeah, like yeah. Your whole life. Yes, indeed. Led yeah. you on. Quite, quite an incredible journey, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, it's always easy when you look back to sort of thread things together and see mm-hmm. the coherence and see how it makes sense. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's so unpredictable, you know, as you move through. But, it, you know, I certainly made choices that were influenced by that. I, before I went to college, I spent quite a, quite a number of months, just under a year in India. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it wasn't a... a practicing meditation experience but I was with Indian families and particularly in the Jain tradition and really experiencing how they lived their lives um, from a connection to their spiritual practice and made their choices about how they engaged with the world from that place that was really striking to me and and also going to a series of lectures by Krishnamurti when he was very near the end of his life Mm-hmm. And they completely blew me blew me away. It's yeah. like, whoa. Would you just say for who anyone who doesn't know who Krishna Murti is? Would you Yeah, introduce? so Krishna Murti is was a, a you know, a very deep thinker and teacher mm-hmm. who um so that so I was in India in the uh, um early eighties, so he mm-hmm. would have been in his eighties at that point. Yeah. Um and he wow. was he was a teacher, you know, for many, many years. Um he wasn't particularly a meditator, but he he taught in ways that were very direct understanding of human experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, he was, you know, a great influencer for many people, and me included. Yeah. Mm. 
I mean, that's incredible that you 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 had that first experience of mindfulness meditation at sixteen, and mm. that must have been quite unusual, was it? At that, uh, I in think that, it, I think yeah, it probably was. Time. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't mindfulness. You know, now is very much in the you know in common understanding. Although mm-hmm. you know, that lots of people have different interpret- interpretations of it, but it certainly wasn't. My peers weren't meditating, you know, so yeah. it, it was unusual. Um, yeah, and it wasn't something, you know, I, I then went to college and then moved into to work as an occupational therapist, and it wasn't something I talked about. Yeah. Because it, it, that, it wasn't, that wasn't the time, really, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so I was, um, it was definitely a thread that became very important in my life. But um, until I came across Mark Williams and the work that he was doing, it wasn't an explicit, something I, you know, was open about with, with people around me. Yeah, which is interesting. Really interesting mm. how things have changed. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. And and I wonder if you can remember any of any kind of the challenges in the early days mm. of learning mm. meditation. Yeah. So my first sort of most sustained practice experience was after I left college. I went to Thailand and um, spent time at a temple there mm-hmm. and was supported to be part of a, a group of lay women mm-hmm. and and so and my my their, their job was to be at the temple and they did lots of meditation and chanting but they also were heading out into the communities and engaging in service work in the community um, I wasn't part of that my job was to meditate <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I was given some instruction and just kind of, you know, a lot of the time left to it, although there were some periods of intense retreat within that when we were working more as a group. But I do remember that I really struggled a lot of the time. So, and, and as I, when I look back now, a lot of the struggles, the theme of them was that I, I was very strivy. Yeah. So I was really trying to get good at meditation. And... Um, Anything that was, things felt like they, so if it was too hot, which it often was, or there was too many insects, which there often was, um, or I was hungry, which I sometimes was, because we used to finish eating at midday, all of those sort of discomforts felt like they were, I had to solve them in order to get to be back to a meditation that, that felt as it should do. So there was this idea I had that meditation should feel a certain way, and I mm-hmm. should be a certain way. Um, so, yeah, you know, that, I, that was very, a very strong part of the first phase of my learning. And, and I'm sure, as you found with teaching, that is very much part of the first phase of, of learning a practice indeed, indeed. of mindfulness for, for many, most many, of many. us, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Though, though it was interesting to me, so when, when Mark was beginning his work in North Wales, mm-hmm. he, in order to develop his learning, he taught an NBCT course for the first time. Um, and I, I was part of that course along with wow. local colleagues. And, and actually, although I'd, you know, I'd had this practice experience in the Thai forest tradition um, for, for quite a number of years before that. It was really revolutionary for me to, to receive teaching in the sort of MBSR, MBCT way of doing it. Because yeah. that somehow really, you know, the whole style of practice in, in the eight-week course 
undercuts a lot of that striving because it, the really explicit is the encouragement to be as you are yeah. and to allow your practice to be as you are. And whatever's showing up is the curriculum. There's yeah. nothing that gets in the way. And, and, and also the bringing of practice into everyday life in a way that I, I really hadn't joined it up before that. So, it, you know, there was definitely, I think, some things about me in that early phase and also some things about the way that the teaching was framed that triggered my existing tendencies around perfectionism and yeah. trying to get it right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's such, yeah, all mm. s- such great, um, yeah, I think a lot, of, a lot of people will resonate with what you're saying and mm. what I certainly do mm. with those yeah early days of practice mm. and wanting to get it right and totally. wanting the conditions to be yeah to be right sitting in the right place in the house if yeah. someone makes a noise and and actually to yeah. to let it be as it is and yeah. let yourself be as you are is the practice it is the practice and to really fold in whatever's happening externally yeah. internally and and not to feel that there's anything you know it will never be perfect mm. because that's how life is yeah. It, it's much more a question of how can I be with, in yeah. relationship, in skillful relationship with whatever's showing up. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. So um, my next question would be kind of around what, I mean, I think we've already covered it really, but what's inspired you to to keep practicing mm. over the years mm. since all the way back since yeah. first starting to meditate at 16? What's... What's really supported you to keep with it? Mm. Well, I think, I mean, it's, you know, very natural that practice ebbs and flows in, in everybody's life. And, and um, so I could definitely say that there's times when my practice has been a stronger thread, but it has been a constant thread. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think the other thing that I would say is that, you know, we all have different phases in our lives. So, you know, there was the for me, the life before I had children and then three children and um, and practice became very different in those years, but actually really vital. And mm-hmm. now I'm, you know, my children are growing up, but I'm at a, I, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's three years ago, so I live with a health condition. So that, you know, we all have different life themes that show up at different times. And the question that I think is really important for all of us is how can my practice serve me? in the midst of this, you know, this reality in my life. And and my practice really has served me. And it's, you know, through all of the um, turbulences and joys of my life, I've really had this sense of a continuity of something I could rely on that that gave me a a place to uh, understand and re-anchor to and a way of inquiring into, a way of being with, you know, practice in a way does, serves a myriad of functions. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's sort of, in a way, it's a, it's been a frame um, that's really, I, you know, I, I sometimes say to myself, I don't know how I'd do it without a practice. Yeah, I say and that. I, and yeah. I, you know, I, that's a really genuine, you know, it's like wow, you know, when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, and in the year, in the months after that, I'm so so grateful I put the hours in, because my practice has really helped me in the midst of this storm, yeah, to navigate life. Really, yeah, really powerful mm. to have, as you say, to have developed this 
such strong support mm. yeah. for whatever life yes. is going to yes. inevitably throw at us totally. over the years. Yeah. yeah. It's just so wonderful to hear that, how it is supportive in, in the storms, as you put it. Yeah. Yeah. And how how can our practice serve us? Yes, and it and it will evolve. So mm-hmm. you know, I think that's also the other thing is that um, sometimes we can have a sense of rules about how practice should be, and um, I you know I, I think the what's you know one of the learnings for me is to really allow my practice to have different shapes and different forms, mm-hmm. and um, to anchor into different aspects of the practice at different times. Yeah. It's been really helpful. Sometimes I need more settling. Sometimes I need more inquiry. Sometimes I need more kindness. And, you know, all these different sort of elements of practice that we can lean into. And You know, there's a whole kind of menu of of practices and teachings that that, um, we can draw from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, we've got lots of tools in our our mindfulness toolbox to support us with the different different things that we're meeting yes different experiences that are coming up yes Um, would you mind me asking a little bit about how how your practice changed when you had your children Mm. and how was that to navigate yeah so yeah just sort of as pausing a moment and just bringing back to mind you know the the beauty and the turbulence of those (laughs) years of small children I had three children and um yeah, I mean, there's lots I could say about this. This would be, you know, a whole other podcast probably. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess, it, you know, it wasn't always possible to sit every day. You know, it was sometimes so full. Um, but I, you know, and sometimes I'd, or I'd be up in the night, you know, breastfeeding, or I'd be up in the night just pacing with a, a child who was fretful. And... And, you know, I really had the sense of calling forth my practice in those moments when I really wanted to be in bed Mm -hmm. sleeping and um, and here I was. But actually just really taking in the the preciousness of of being here with this little being and I've got tingles as I speak about it. But I also remember feeding in the middle of the night and, and actually the deliciousness of the quietness of those times with this little being taking nourishment in and having a sense of all the mothers around the world doing the same thing and um, feeling a real sense of um, solidarity with, 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 a, with people who are out there in the middle of the night mm. doing, doing what's needed for, for the children. Yeah. yeah. And actually, yeah, that even just that being with mm. your baby, yeah. that in itself is a meditation it is totally, practice totally yeah. it doesn't have to look as we think it it's meant to yes sat you know for yeah. however long each day on a cushion yeah yeah absolutely. it can change and it can shift yes and work for that particular part of your life yeah absolutely and that's the flexibility of like you know, yeah, mm-hmm. you know that our practice can show up in all sorts of ways it doesn't have to be formal sitting practice on a cushion it's you know it's yeah there's a lot more ways in which we just bring it into the sort of being and the fabric of our lives and the way that we talk to each other and yeah um and and i think you know one of the things with life with small children is that the pace is sometimes quite slow i remember you know or, you know just sort of doing things in the you know in the garden or going for walks with them and sometimes my mind 
would be, you know, wanting to be going so much faster, but really seeing that and then mm-hmm. coming back. So, yeah, just, um, I, I don't, I could say so much more. Yeah. Yeah. Have to have and a... there were so many phases, you know, the, the little phase, but then you know the the craziness of the teenage phase at times, and uh, and that and now you know my children are in their twenties, and so so beautiful to to be building an adult relationship with, and so it never stops, you know, this this sort of relational piece of um, you know presence in practice, you know, in connection with others is um, is something that. Actually, you know, so I've I've done the the work of insight dialogue with Gregory Kramer and really learned how to over the years really bring my practice more explicitly into how I am when I'm connecting with others yeah. and and that's been a, a whole transformation that um, that I've really loved and and I really appreciate that you know with my children. So. Yeah. yeah. Would you mind just saying a little bit about what the what insight dialogue mm. is? Yeah. Um, so Gregory Kramer has, who's a, a, a teacher of our time, an American teacher, and he has developed a a way of um, offering mindfulness practice that that is through talking. Mm-hmm. So we practice, you know, when so you you might be in pairs as we are now, mm-hmm. um, just speaking um so it's like practicing out loud and there's lots of different ways of doing it um but but it you know it's it's about connecting as you speak and allowing the speaking to be practice and and you know and sometimes it the the you know what you speak about is very connected to practice themes like what's showing up in my body what's showing up in my mind and sometimes it's another theme like um who am i or what's my what are the identities i bring in this world um, and it's a it's a very beautiful way of practicing, and as, uh, I've really gained a lot from the retreats I've done with Gregory. Yeah, yeah, I've 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 done a little bit mm. of um, insight dialogue, and and of course it it does come into the mindfulness based stress reduction. A yes. little taste of it in week yes, six is exactly, yes. mindfulness in in relationships, yeah. and and we do a talking practice, a listening yes. meditation, which is really interesting yeah. to kind of. To not respond That's right. in the way we usually would, to just listen with your whole body. Totally, yeah, yeah. Because you can, we really begin to see. I mean, mindfulness. You know, a key function of mindfulness is help us to see the habit patterns that we don't even know we have. And there's so much that is habit around how we engage with each other and the social norms that we have. So, in a way, this, these practices disrupt that. Mm-hmm. And and help us to see the impulses that we have um, when we're with others and the identities we bring. And, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Be, that can be just so so helpful mm. and not something I think people in, in, first think of mindfulness practices being supportive in. Yes, yeah. it's, it's everything Absolutely. really. I think we have. You know, I certainly had the idea when I first started to meditate that that this was all about me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so this is yeah. about me helping to understand my own process. And of course, that is a big part of it. But actually, I much more now see that when I'm meditating, I'm meditating because I care about the world. And, and, and I, you know, I care about how I interface with the world and how I interface with other people. And that actually my practice serves 
serves that. Yeah. So you know, like we're just about to embark on a five day retreat and and I would say, you know, this is of course to support every individual who comes on this retreat. But the bigger aspiration is that actually this is of service in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That really hits home, mm. I think, for a lot of people. Mm. And there was there was one one participant on the course that we just ran and I remember kind of when we were first talking about her coming on the course and and saying around you know it feels quite a selfish endeavor mm. kind of in mm. making this investment of time mm. which feels like it's very yeah it's all about me and it's like this is going to impact the ripple effect of you taking care of yourself yes and yeah and really bringing those attitudes of care and kindness in your relationships and yeah how you meet life in general is huge absolutely and that really yeah that really um hit home for her yeah and it's just been amazing to see see her journey yes over the last nine weeks we've just finished teaching the mm. course and yeah oh it's just magical it's <laughs> magical um so another question i would have is what advice would you give to someone who was just starting out mm. with a mindfulness meditation practice or they would kind of they knew they wanted to start yeah. um but weren't quite sure you know how to go about it or just mm. any you know words mm. of advice to someone starting out yeah i mean it's an interesting question in the time that we live in because there's so many digital ways into practice now which yes. there weren't you know 10 20 years ago so many people you know start with headspace or you know mm-hmm. so and I, you know, my, my sense would be to celebrate all the, the diversity of ways that, that are available for practice. Um, so many resources online. But I would also say that at some point, when, when, when any of us feels ready, that actually engaging with a, t- a teacher mm-hmm. and a group yeah. makes a real difference. Uh, so I think it's very difficult to to develop depth on your own and to really, you know, because practice is inherently bringing us to places that are challenging. You know, so so it, it's, it's not going to always be an easy journey. So the idea that meditation is about blissing out or about, you know, getting relaxed or, you know, feeling, feeling great um, is it that isn't you know and th- those things might happen mm-hmm. but but the, the bigger the bigger intention under practice is is to explore what we've been discussing which is how am I in relationship with my life yeah with my experience with my kids with my colleagues um, how do I show up in life and what what am I bringing that might inadvertently be causing suffering for myself and others and and the work of meditation is, is in a way like setting up a laboratory to help us begin to see the patternings that we have and how they show up in ways that serve and ways that don't serve our own well-being and the well-being of others. And that requires that, you know, if you really want to do that in a way that, that, that actually has traction on, on those um, issues that really matter in our lives, it requires some dedication to practice. It requires mm-hmm. you to really put some time in. And I mean, I do actually think the eight-week course is an exquisite yeah. way of doing that depth work. 
it's only two months of your life. Um, but it's like a, you know, it is a, a real immersion in practice in a way that is very meaningful on a personal level, but also, you know, exploring how it can interface with all the aspects of your life. So I would really recommend to people that they do set themselves up with a teacher and a, and a, a context for practice and a community mm -hmm. um, that, that, that gives some dedicated space to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know that was definitely a turning point for myself. Yeah. 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 I learned to meditate first with um, the mind, Finding Peace in a Mindful, Finding Peace in a Frantic World yes. book by yes. Mark Williams. Great. and. So I did that on my own for a few years yeah. before I found a group. Yeah. Um, but the the shift yes. and the ability to actually to let it really support me mm. during the challenging times, where in the in the past it it had dropped away. Yes. When things were getting really tough. Yes, I but, think that's common yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. So so that you know having a teacher and a context really helps to helps you to engage and stay with the difficulties mm -hmm. in a way that I think very understandably we wouldn't do on our own because no. we don't trust it no and it, and it does require in a way what the teacher is bringing is a sense of confidence in the practice and also guiding you in you know in how to navigate you know when when things feel difficult mm -hmm. so you know having that personal connection with somebody as a teacher I think is really vital actually at some point you know and it sounds like you know you you rode with it for quite a while before you you, you did that and I don't mm -hmm. think there's any prescription about no. when when that should happen no mm. yeah oh yeah um thank you I think that's going to be so helpful for people mm. to to hear mm. um and also for for maybe some people who are listening who've maybe been practicing for quite a mm. while and maybe they're in a in a sticky patch, mm. maybe practice has dropped away. Um, what advice would you have for someone in yeah. that situation? Well, in many ways, my advice would be quite similar, actually. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think there's something very helpful about recognising the naturalness of yeah. those, those times when we feel uninspired by our practice or it just, yeah, it's, 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 um, we've lost our enthusiasm. Um, I mean, you're coming on retreat now, and I think that's a really beautiful thing for all of us to do at different times, to just come away from home if, if possible, but there's also online opportunities, but in a way give over just a, you know, it might be a weekend or five days or a week, I've just been on a month-long retreat, but to give over a, a chunk of time, and and in a way what we're doing when we do that is is putting what we really deeply care about in our lives right at the front and we're saying this is the most important thing, you know, to to really explore what I really care about and how my practice can serve me in that. Mm -hmm. um, because we get lost in day-to-day -day life. Life is full and confusing and stressful and difficult stuff happens and it's very easy for us to lose our way and lose connection with what's important to us. So, and we need supports to do that. So I think finding ways to come back, come back with peers and teachers and listening to teachings, anything that's going to sort of revitalise that thread. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm. It's been so wonderful mm. talking to you. It's, yeah. I keep being again I keep being like I can't believe I'm here 
chatting to Rebecca no, Crane. Really, really delightful. And I just want to really thank you for all of the work that you and the team mm. at Bangor have put in over the years, all the team past and present. It's just such a gift. Mm. And I know it's been totally transformational in my life. Oh, that's really wonderful to hear, Katie. Yeah, yeah. it makes me quite feel, feel quite emotional, mm. but it's, mm. it really is. Yeah. It changes the course of so many people's lives. Yeah really does and and it's you know very mutual you know we're yeah. so, so appreciative that you're you're participating in in that we couldn't teachers need students students need teachers yeah. and it's a very mutual journey and um yeah it's it is it's very beautiful to be part of absolutely mm. well on that note we're going to go and get ready for our retreats indeed indeed and yeah, yeah thank you so much a complete pleasure real delight to be with you here today yeah, thank you for inviting me. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I had so much fun and I've got some fab links for you in the show notes. Um, there's some links to some other podcasts that have interviewed Rebecca Crane, particularly great for any mindfulness teachers listening. And there's also a link to Rebecca's latest book that she wrote alongside Karuna Vera and Dr. Gemma Griffith called Essential Research essential resources for mindfulness teachers it is a fabulous book um they're all um it's kind of all the wisdom um from the Bangor master's, master's program there's also a link to the 2024 conference in mindfulness up in Bangor and that's going to be August 2024 i hope to be there um, and Bangor up in Wales is beautiful it's near Snowdonia I've also popped the links in there to the Bangor Masters program and the Mindfulness Network where you can train to become a mindfulness teacher and yeah and and also I mean if you enjoyed this episode or you want to give me any constructive feedback I'd love to hear from you um so you can pop me a review send me a message and yeah just be great to hear from you all and and if this has been supportive so thanks a lot see you next time thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of meditation inspiration if you'd like to take part in a mindfulness-based course, I would highly recommend checking out the BAMBA website. Um, BAMBA stands for the British Association of Mindfulness-Based Approaches and it has a register of highly trained mindfulness teachers based here in the UK. And if you'd like to check out my offerings, you can find me at katieaustinmindfulness.co.uk. I offer regular mindfulness-based courses in person here in Cornwall and online. Thanks again. See you soon.